thought about a musical interlude this time. So welcome everyone, I'll put that away over there, this is Adam Pickett, Pushing Rubber Podcast, um, this is the, this is the eighth, this is the eighth podcast I've done, I can't remember, let me go and check, yes, this is Pushing Rubber Podcast number eight, I'm Adam Pickett, that was me playing a little bit of Led Zeppelin, um, now tonight, uh, apart from doing a little musical interlude, which is something different, uh, we also have a drink of the podcast, my drink of the podcast, which I'm going to take a sip of. Excellent. There's a uh, Ron Zacapa, 23-year-old rum. Beautiful. And we have a cigar of the podcast which I have to be honest, I've already smoked, but it was a Trinidad Riaz. Is it Riaz? I don't know how you pronounce it. It's spelled R-E-Y-E-S, but it's the cigar with a a triple T band. And uh, I have to say it's probably my favourite cigar of all time, the Trinidad Riaz triple T. Um, Just brilliant. um, For those of you who are out there trying, maybe thinking about getting into things like cigars i'll uh, i'll post a link up to this one uh it's a fantastic cigar to start off with and if you don't know that much about cigars um aaron clary at uh, captain capitalism who sponsors this podcast so i'm just going to get him out there right off the bat he um did a great uh youtube video recently where he showed how to light a cigar properly. So I'll put a link up to that as well, so you can check that out uh, if you're not certain about these sort of things. Because I find that that men, uh, when I used to work as a trainer and assessor, teaching things like firefighting and that sort of stuff, the one advantage that women, one advantage that women have over men is they, they never pretend in a technical situation when they're learning something that they know it already. Um, I always had my some of my best students on courses that I ran, and these were physical courses, maybe upside-down underwater helicopter escape training or something like that. Uh, women were often pretty good, uh, and that's because they, they really listened. They didn't pretend that they knew it already. Whereas guys in general, if they don't know something then it's often a little bit of a uh, it's a lot of a manly macho thing oh, I can't admit that I don't know that it's all fine shit like this so they don't they end up not listening to you and then they end up stuffing it all up whereas whereas chicks tend to listen a bit more um, so when it comes to something like say smoking a cigar if you don't know how to smoke a cigar Then it um, then it can be intimidating to the point where you don't do it because you don't want to be in the position where you don't know how to do something. And I think for men, for blokes, that's a really common situation to be in. Um, and you're not doing yourself any favors. I think of, think of something that you're good at. 
I'm not, hopefully some of you out there are good at something, yeah. Uh, think of something you're good at. You had to start somewhere, yeah. Um, and and that's why stuff that I'm really good at, I always make a point of not crapping on people who are trying to get started. Like, oh, what what do you think you're doing, man? <laughs> you know, yeah. did your mum teach you to do that? It's just if it's if it's among friends and you're having a bit of a laugh, it's fine. But even then, I'll be pretty careful about it because men are very uh, particular about this sort of thing. Men are really intimidated about stuff they don't know and looking um, unknowledgeable, I'd say would be the right word, in front of the guys. So, cigars, look, they're absolutely a fantastic thing to get into. You get to buy all sorts of cool shit. Um, Well, let's start off with you get to buy cigars. They're pretty cool. Um, Of course, you don't know which ones to buy, but I've just told you one to buy. Yeah, and I'll link it up for you. So you can buy that one. Uh, if you walk into a cigar store and you say you want a box of the cigars that I've just smoked, then the people in the store will be like, yeah, no problem. Yeah. I myself, by the way, have no no issue at all going somewhere and going, I know nothing, you're the experts, take me through it. No problem at all. But 15 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So I'm not going to presume that everyone out there listening to this knows how to do that. So... You get to buy cigars. You get to buy, let's see, uh, a cigar cutter, because you've got to cut the cigar, so that's something else you need to learn how to do. Um, you get to buy a cigar lighter. Yeah, they're pretty cool, because you don't want to light a cigar with a normal butane, um, like a big lighter or something like that, because the, uh, the gas will taint the taste of the cigar. Um, the best thing for taste to light cigars are matches, like long, long cigar matches, but they're really problematic if it's windy and it's outside and hardly anyone smokes inside anymore, unfortunately. So a proper cigar lighter has got a, a gas that doesn't doesn't colour the flavour uh, of the cigar and taint it. So what have we got? We've got cigars, we've got uh, cigar cutters, we've got uh, cigar lighters. You're probably thinking that we're done. No. What about a nice humidor? Yeah. Uh, I've got a beautiful humidor just sitting over there. You can't see it, of course. Um but uh, um, lovely, lovely piece. It'll it'll last for probably hundreds of years, to be honest. Uh, so I'll use it after I'm gone. Um, so you get to store your cigars in that. What about something to carry the cigars around in when you want to smoke them, but you're not going to smoke them immediately because you don't want to get them crushed. It's like a cigar carrier pouch. They make those out of leather. They're really cool. And... Uh, last but not least, uh, a cigar ashtray, something really groovy. Um, I've got one with um, um, Frank, lovely porcelain one made in Cuba with Frank Sinatra on it. And let's be honest, what could be better than smoking a cigar and having a Frank Sinatra porcelain ashtray? Hmm? I mean, right now you're just thinking, oh, I just want to go out and buy all this stuff. Of course you do. So I'll link to the cigar of the week of the podcast. So I'll, I'll do a different one every week. And and by the way, this is this cigar that I've linked to the Trinidad cigar. Uh, very um, smooth smoke. Got a great draw. Uh, a draw means um, how well the, the the smoke comes through, the burn rate, that sort of thing. So it doesn't go out on you very easily. 
So you, you, I've never had to relight a triple T ever. Um, so just a really, really nice cigar to get into. It's very important that you learn how to uh, that you learn how to light one correctly. So do watch Aaron's video um, uh, because if you do light it incorrectly, then the taste, even if you know you've got the proper match or whatever, the the, the taste will be compromised quite easily and it will it will taste bitter and harsh and you, and you'll be thinking to yourself this isn't really nice what are those cigar people talking about and you've actually probably just lit your cigar incorrectly um so have a look at Aaron's video follow what he does um that's definitely the best way to do it remember you don't inhale with cigars uh, though you can blow the smoke out of your nose and I do that quite a bit um you might be thinking what's the point well a good cigar um, blow your head off <laughs> you know to take any smoke down in your lungs to do that so a really really good thing to do that so we've got the Ron Zacapa 23 year old here on a couple of ice cubes mm. which I have to plough through because the ice will melt and it'll be nasty so I'm going to have to drink that as I'm talking uh, and we've got the uh, Trinidad um, uh, the Trinidad Reyes, Reyes. Maybe Aaron can help me out in the pronunciation of that. I don't fucking know. Um, and uh, and a little bit of Led Zeppelin to start us off with. So uh, today uh, on the Pushing Rubber podcast, uh, this is going to be the what I'm going to call the Indigenous episode. Um, this has been annoying me lately. Well, it's been annoying me since I got back to Australia five years ago so I was out of Australia for 10 years living in Italy I never came back to Australia in that time and then I came back in 2011 and when I left um, the um, uh, black inhabitants uh, of the country were known as Aboriginals and when I got back they were known as Indigenous which was pretty weird to me um, when I came back Um, but I've said before that words powerful um, and progressive left knows this very very well uh, that's why they want to change uh, sex to gender when we're describing someone's biological sex if we say sex then there can only be male and female I've said this before if you go with gender now you open it up to 50 different shades of grey so words are powerful words break things down and when I got back to Australia, the first time I found out that we called Indigenous, I went to a cricket match. Um, cricket, by the way, is the greatest game in the world. Whenever some, someone says to me, you know, cricket, terribly boring, well, it's not. Uh, it's like chess on a, on a big field and you have to run around as well. Um, and... It's a great game to get into, and apparently, because I have a lot of American listeners, apparently there are cricket clubs over in America. You should get into them. And we have, at my cricket club that I play for, the Yarras in Melbourne, we have an American named Chris, who was actually a college baseball player, and he moved to Australia a couple of years ago. He's a very nice chap, and um, he could have played baseball here at a very high level and would have been welcomed with open arms and legs, basically spread I suppose because I'd be so desperate for him but he was like well no I'm living in Australia uh, I need to um, I need to do an Australian sport and he began playing cricket last year and was pretty terrible but he's a good athlete 
And by the end of the season, he was doing pretty well, especially with his batting. So hats off to Chris, um, if you're listening. Good guy. Um, Anyway, so I went to a cricket match. It was Australia versus South Africa, I think. And we all had to stand. It was the first day of the cricket match. By the way, the reason that cricket matches are the best game in the world, um, I don't know. What what are you what? Let's say you watch a baseball. <sighs> okay, let's let me get here on on search engine. I'll do it right now. Google um, baseball uh, length of game. There we go. Two hours and fifty two minutes is the average length of a baseball game. So. Uh, almost three hours. That's not bad, I suppose, because um, soccer or European football is only about 100 minutes. Um, but a, a cricket match is eight hours. Starts around 10.30 in the morning. Goes until around 7 and they have a break for lunch and then they have a break for afternoon tea as well. It's all very English and you know gentlemanly-like. And that, that's for five days. Five days of that. So, look, if you're watching a baseball game and the wife is, you know, what are you doing? I'm watching the game. Leave me alone. Go away. What have we got? you got three hours we just worked out then. At the end of it, you know, she's going to come in and say, oh, well, now you have to cut the grass. You have to mow the lawn. You'll come back now. You're here. I can't speak American. And you'd be like, okay, fuck now. Whereas in Australia, we're like, oh, sorry, sorry, darling, I, I can't. My lord, I'm watching the cricket. And one one game is eight hours a day for five days. You do the math. You're lying on the couch, drinking beer, maybe got your buddies around, watching the game, eight hours a day for five days in a row. How is that not a thing of beauty? How is that not the greatest game in the world? How can you Americans not embrace the idea of the cricket match when you get to sit on the couch for five days, for 40 hours, a working week, for 40 hours you get to watch a game. And by the way, these games can go down to the wire. After 40 hours, it all comes down to maybe half a dozen balls and everyone's on the edge of their seat. Eh, a lot of them peter out into a draw, but it can be pretty exciting, let me tell you. Not as exciting as uh, a chick I went to school with by the name of Shazza. She was pretty exciting. Used to hang out in closets during parties. We weren't talking about that. Anyway, so I was at this cricket match. South Africa, Australia. Perth at the Wacker. That's the name of the uh, cricket oval there. The Wacker. West Australian Cricket Association. Wacker. And it was the first day of the test. And I was there nice and early and very excited because I hadn't been near a cricket field for over a decade. So this was a big deal for me. And... We all had to, everyone suddenly stood up and I was like, oh, we're going to sing the national anthem. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So everyone's getting, good to see Australia hasn't changed. Nice to see. And then I noticed out in the middle of the field there was some Aboriginals with a didgeridoo and, and an Aboriginal flag. And and I was like, what's going on here? And then and there were about three or four of them and they start doing this dance and stuff and I, I turned to my friend and I'm like what's this and he goes oh this is the welcome to country and I'm like the welcome to what the welcome to country and I said why do I have to be welcome to my own country and sure enough it's a 
totally invented ceremony because the Aboriginals never had a fucking welcome to country ceremony before the Europeans rocked up. They didn't even have it until about four years ago until the progressive left said, you should do this. Now they charge thousands of dollars to do it. Government departments have to do welcome to countries before major meetings now, if you can believe this. It's got so out of control. And they never did this for real. It's utterly absurd. So I just sat down. Every time now there's a welcome to country ceremony, I don't stand up. I just sit in my seat. And everyone's looking at me like, what are you doing, man? You can't do them. I'm not standing up for this rubbish. I'm not going to buy into this total bullshit. You must be fucking joking. And for a start, it's my country. I was born here. I have ancestors going back to the 1820s or 1830s who are in this country. Five or six generations. Don't tell me that you're welcoming me to my own country. That ain't going to happen in a million years. But they all stand up, don't they? They all go along with it. Weak. So, there was the welcome to country, and then there was this indigenous shit. So they changed the names from Aboriginal to Indigenous. And you might think to yourself, well, Adam... What's in a name? And I'll say, well, dear listener, fucking everything. Let's have a look at the definition of indigenous. Indigenous. Adjective. Originating in and characteristic of a particular region or country. A native. Hmm, says I. It's Latin. Okay. Let's go down to the antonyms, because the antonyms are always a really good way to work out what a word really means. If you don't know what an antonym is, an antonym's the opposite. Antonyms, foreign or alien. Hmm. So we've changed the names of Aboriginals, which was a unique name, because there wasn't anyone really in the world that they were, that they were calling the native population who were... Who were there before the Europeans rocked up. Aboriginals. It was uniquely Australian. Uh, indigenous is not uniquely Australian. Indigenous is even a scientific world word. Sorry. Uh, let's have a look at the, at the definitions here. We've got... Uh, hmm, let me see. Scientific origins. Okay. Yeah, we've got some examples here. So native to a particular region environment, but occurring naturally in other places as well. For example, American black bear is indigenous to many different parts of North America. Hmm. So this is a really tricky use of this word. By redefining Australian Aboriginals as indigenous, there are... <laughs> Look, dear reader, use your brain. What's the agenda here? Hmm? Have you worked it out yet? Well, I'll help you. By calling Australian Aboriginals Indigenous, by defining them with this term as Indigenous Australians, they are inferring, ipso facto, that everyone else is foreign and alien. So they're telling me that I'm a foreigner in the country of my birth. I suppose I'll have to go back to Scotland and tell them all that I'm indigenous to there, but they're going to tell me to fuck off as well. It's a way of disenfranchising the population of Australia, the majority of the population of Australia, 
Now, they like to go out and say, well, the the Indigenous population, as in the Australian Aboriginals, were disenfranchised. Who are they kidding? Do they think that if the British hadn't rocked up in 1788 on the shores of Botany Bay, that the Aboriginals would still be sitting around in loincloths doing their thing? Who would have got to them? Maybe the Chinese, maybe the Japanese, probably the French, because they were hanging around like a bad smell. It would have been done anyway. What they're trying to do is create a wedge in Australian society. They're trying to create an apartheid state. They're trying to, they're trying to create a new South Africa. And Australia is one of the most successfully assimilated countries in the world. It's a disgrace that they're using this name, and I refuse to use it. I do not use the word indigenous to describe Australian Aboriginals. I always call them as Australian Aboriginals, or Aboriginals, or Abos. That's a nickname. That's what we do if you've got half a brain. If you buy into this stuff, if you start using the words that the progressive left foist on us, then you give them credibility. You give them power. And bit by bit, step by step, you lose. They're trying to create a wedge in Australian society. But now they're talking about a treaty between... Aboriginals and Australia. Well, look, a treaty suggests a war. There was no war. There was no war at all. I think we rocked up with 300 Marines, English naval Marines uh, on Botany Bay, and they were just there to, you know, protect them from the ravages of the wild bush. If you really think it was an invasion, it was a pretty fucking slow one because Perth, on the other side of the country wasn't established until over 40 years later in 1829. That's a long time between drinks. No one else bothered to go down there. They're like, that that piece of shit land down there, you can have that. We don't want anything to do with it. There was no treaty because there was no surrender. There was no surrender because there were no fight. Now, the Maoris over in New Zealand, they had a treaty because they put up a one hell of a fight on the English when they rocked up. They got a treaty and they have... Certain, oh, I don't know the details of what goes on over there, but that's a real treaty. It was signed, I don't know, 150 years ago, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, whenever it was. But to say that it's a treaty here, well then, you have to infer that the Aborigines have a separate nation state. Oh well, now it's getting complicated, isn't it? So what are you going to do? Are you going to give them half of Sydney? How's that going to work? You certainly wouldn't get the rich suburbs, the progressives who are pushing this right now. I can tell you that right now. So I refuse to use the word indigenous. Uh, I refuse to use any of these progressive left lying turd words. They're Aboriginals. That's it. That's how it's going to be as far as I'm concerned. And I'll do my best to push back as much as I can. I'm sure you have examples of such redefinitions of language where you come from Um, it surely cannot only be here in australia now speaking of australia which i am this whole podcast so you must be thrilled to bits we've just had an australian election um which has been an utter clusterfuck of epic proportions from the australian conservative party 
uh, and their cult of the personality that they have thrown up around Malcolm Turnbull, who has managed to stuff everything up in quite dramatic fashion, which there was no doubt was going to happen. Uh, at this point, the election was held on Saturday. It's Tuesday night. There is no result. Oh, I'd be surprised if there's a result within the next few days or by the end of the week. Uh, if the Liberal Party, which is the Conservative Party in Australia, managed to form a government, it'll probably be with with a majority of a single seat. And they're coming from a majority in the 2013 election of 30 seats. So they've gone from a majority of 30 seats to maybe they can claw into government. Uh, this is a disaster of a t- total nature. And it was because the Delcons, who uh, we were the self-styled delusional conservatives, that's what we were called um, by a... Uh, news limited columnist by the name of Miranda Devine. Uh, we don't matter. Well, apparently, one I saw a piece today. One point three million conservatives voted for minor conservative parties. Conservative parties like Family First Party, uh, One Nation, uh, the Australian Liberty Alliance, all these sort of things. Uh, that's a lot of votes. That uh, yeah, I think it mattered, Miranda. So um, really good call there, sweetheart. I don't like Delcon. I prefer Defcon. You know, like DEFCON 1, but we're in DEFCON 5. So a total stuff up. But look, I think this is a good thing because uh, Turnbull uh, is a disaster. Turnbull is a narcissistic, well, they're all narcissists, but he's, he takes it to an extreme. And he's he's a lefty. Uh, he's, a, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing, and he was going to take the Conservative Party far, far to the left if he won convincingly, as it is now, even if he forms government, um, uh, he'll be getting the gift of government with a set of steak knives, uh, about 50 of them in the back, I'd say. Uh, so he, he won't last out the year. There's no way he does that. Um, or I'll drink my drink if he manages to last out the year, speaking of which. I shouldn't have poured such a large drink before I started to do this podcast. Ah, dear, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. That wasn't a good look. Um, so it's been an interesting few weeks. I mean, we've had Brexit. Uh, and um, uh, we have we had a good result there as far as I was concerned. Of course, the, the people who wanted it to remain are crying that democracy's broken because they didn't get the result they wanted. I suppose the, the new democracy is uh, you all need to vote on one thing. Uh, we're only giving you one option. Uh, so we'll vote on that. I suppose that's their version of democracy. Uh, and that way they can never have the wrong outcome coming up. So I've had Brexit. Uh, Dutch are really starting to stir now. Do not be surprised if um, if we get a... Um, would that be Dexit? Dutch, Dexit, Holland, Netherlands, Nexit, Nexit, Nexit. I think I saw that somewhere, Nexit. Uh, don't be surprised if we get that. Um Within a year. Um, We've had the Australian election. Wow. Pretty interesting. Big protest vote from uh, delusional conservatives, the Delcons. Uh, And then, of course, we've got the cracker coming up at the end of the year, uh, the American election. Um, Even though... Has Trump been... I mean, is he officially the Republican nominee? I don't think he is, is he? They haven't actually met and said, yeah, I suppose we're going to give it to you. 
the thing that I'm finding fascinating at the moment, because there's so many things fascinating about American election, but the thing I'm finding f- most fascinating at the moment is the fact that uh, the mainstream media is tearing Trump apart because he's not spending money on his campaign. He's not spending money on ads. So apparently Clinton is spending half a million dollars a day uh, on advertising and Trump's spending a big fat zero. So they're, they're, they're having a shot at him for not spending any money, but yet this is the same progressive left that was screeching that they need to take the money out of the politics that it costs too much to run for the presidential election so that was only like barely a year ago that all those pieces were coming out and now it's like oh trump you're no good because you're not spending any money (sighs) it's just i wonder what it's like to live in a world that's that confusing where you have to say one thing but then you have to say another to prop up this other thing i suppose it's like You've got a dam made of sand and the water's slowly coming through and you're plugging one thing and you're plugging another and then something else. It's kind of like a a, a dam game of twister, demented lefty style. Mm, something like that. Anyway, um, so there we go. That's uh, I, I'm sorry I didn't do a podcast f- uh, last week, but I did have that long interview with Matt Forney at This Alt-Right Life. Um, which um, went really well. It was great chatting with Matt, so go and check that out if you hadn't checked it out already. Um, This has been my eighth episode of the Pushing Rubber podcast. Um, You can go to my website, Pushing Rubber Downhill. I I put a post up every day without fail. Uh, If I fail, then I'm a big fat failure. Um, My book, Pushing Rubber Downhill, uh, is on uh, paperback, Kindle, and audiobook, read by the talented David Serini. And a lovely chap too. Uh, and my new book, The Prosecco Paddlers, A Rafting Adventure in Italy. We're still working on the color cover. I've got some feedback from some of my adoring fans that they weren't that satisfied with the cover. So we're making some changes as we speak. But hopefully that's going to be out by the end of this month. And that details um, five-month rafting season in Italy and all of the hilarious adventures that uh, a bunch of us got up to over there in one particular season. Um, So this has been great. I hope you enjoyed the little musical interlude. That was a bit of Led Zepp. See if you can work out what the tune was. Um, And uh, I'll do something else next week. I'll post up the link for the cigars. Check out Aaron Clary's uh, video of it. And uh, until next week, stay groovy.